0: Hi, I'm Vishen Lakhiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, Mind Valley fans, and welcome to the Mind Valley podcast. So I'm sitting at the edge of my chair right now because I have Lisa Lempinelli on the line. Lisa, how are you?
1: Good. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing amazingly. And what is so wonderful about this interview, if you've not heard of Lisa Lampanelli, get this. She has twice been nominated for a Grammy Award for comedy. For 30 years, she has been one of the most prolific insult comics in the world. If you have yet to see her roast of Donald Trump, go Google Lisa Lampanelli roasting Donald Trump. She is an amazingly hilarious, brilliant, insightful comic. She was on Celebrity Apprentice. And for 30 years, she has been one of the most prolific female comedians in America. She's been in the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. She became a household name when she raised 130 grand for the gay man's health crisis during season five of NBC Celebrity Apprentice. She has had sold out shows at Radio City Music Hall and Carnegie Hall. She is just one heck of a brilliant woman. But here's the main thing about Lisa. Lisa recently announced that she's going to leave comedy. And now this is a bold move, especially when you've hit all of these like comedic records for three decades. She's decided to leave comedy to start a new career in transformation so she can seek to inspire change, uplift, and help spread positivity, I guess, to as many people as she can. Lisa, that is a bold as hell and noble goal. Welcome to the Mind Valley podcast.
1: Oh my God, thank you. I'm so honored you're having me on because I'll tell you what, this is the kind of work I want to do. I want to inspire other people that just because you're kind of still happy and not miserable in your job or in your relationship or whatever, you can get out before you hate it and decide to do something new. So I am so excited because I'm talking to you who heads up this amazing organization. And I'm like, a year ago, I would have never thought I'd be in the same space with that you know, there's so much fear around leaving something that you've done for so long. And I'm like, whoa, see how everything falls into place when you're authentic and you announce that you're getting out and going into something else.
0: And there's a big lesson here, right? I mean, this podcast is not about comedy, though, feel free to be as funny as you can. It's about transformation. But here's the background of how this episode came to be. I was chatting with Lisa and she was telling me about how she took this bold move in her career to drop one thing that you've become so good at. And try a total reinvention. Now, many of us are in those situations. You might be in a job you absolutely hate. You might be climbing a career, but you're feeling dead inside. Now, what stops us from making that jump? Lisa had a beautiful take on it, and I thought we have to bring her on so she can share this with you in her special way. Would you like to begin, Lisa?
1: Sure, sure here's how I've always seemed to deal with life. And I do not know where I got this because my parents, you know, they grew up depression era kids. They didn't take a whole lot of chances, but somehow they had three kids that took a lot of chances, not physical chances, not anything dangerous, but we always went for what we wanted. So they gave that to us somehow. So I've always said to myself, what's the worst that can happen? Now, that's not a negative thing. I hear a lot of people saying, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, Oh, and then they stop themselves from doing it. They catastrophize and I'll be homeless. I'll have no money. My kids will hate me. My husband will hate me. Here's what I do. I'll be honest. This is pretty much Lisa 101. I said to myself, with all these changes I made, I left three careers that I was very good at. And I've always said, what's the worst that can happen? And I drill it down to the worst thing. And you know what? Instead of letting it stop me, I do it anyway. So even if it's, oh my God, I'm going to have to sell my house. Oh my God, I'm going to have to stop being so generous with my family. I'm going to be a laughing stock. I'm going to have to move in with my mother in her tiny little house. I'm going to have to get rid of everything that I thought meant something to me other than my dog, because I'll keep him because he doesn't eat much. I go, hey, what's the worst that could happen? And then I move forward. So I always say to people who I'm coaching now and who are in these workshops that I'm giving, what's the worst that could happen? It ain't that bad. None of us have ever been homeless. And if we have, we've learned how to deal with it and we've learned from it. None of us are going to be ostracized by every single person on the planet. We just have to drill it down one step at a time and go, I'm going to do it anyway. Because if you continue to do something you're unhappy with, or even with me, with comedy, I wasn't unhappy with it. I didn't hate it, but I wasn't getting that joy, that spark. You know, I remember years ago when I started stand-up comedy, it was that thing where I couldn't wait to get on stage. And every night there was no money involved, but I would be all tickled by the fact that I wrote a new joke and I could try it that night at an open mic. That's the feeling I get now from coaching or workshops or doing a storytelling show. So I go, Well, that disappeared somehow after 30 years, that joy. So if there's not that joy in it, that little fizzy thing that we can't even name what it is, I go, I got to move on to the thing that I really know in my gut is going to bring me that feeling. And guess what? That feeling transfers to the people in the workshops or the coaching. They don't feel that, "Uh uh-oh, she's not really in.
0: You're right. You're right. And there's so much science behind this, actually, Lisa. Sean Aker, who I've also had on this podcast He's a researcher at Harvard, and he wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage, and he gives all of these crazy case studies. Doctors, when they are happy, they have 19% better diagnoses. Positive salespeople, 55% better at sales. Students do better in exams. So there are signs that says that when you have joy with what you're doing, you just get better at it. And were you feeling that your routines, your stand-up, your craft was stagnating or shrinking because you were no longer excited about it? Did you notice that?
1: What's interesting about it, I started getting more standing ovations towards the end of my career before I announced it in an ironic sense, because I think I was showing them I was moving on without saying it. I think it was this internal shift people were sensing. And by the way, I was telling more stories instead of just doing insult comedy, which I love both. And I think I was showing more of me and I took all these standing O's and all this sort of positive feedback as a sign that I'm doing the right thing. I'm moving towards that path that I'm supposed to be on of being more authentic.
0: So it wasn't a clean drop. You actually weaved it in. You started weaving transformative ideas into your standup.
1: Yeah, I remember I put in this bit about gratitude at the end, but it was obviously had a huge punchline at the end. It was really funny because honestly, even in life coaching now or workshops, I'm never not going to be at least somewhat humorous. When I do a storytelling show, of course, it's going to have humor. It's heartfelt, but it's going to have humor in. But the point is, it has the lesson, you know, they can sense it more and feel it and really hear the truth behind the punchline They'll hear the truth. So yeah, I would weave it in a little and those are the shows I felt the best. And also I noticed too, I used to do a and a all the time, which I still do in my storytelling shows. And people would actually ask me problems, like questions they were having. I remember one woman, she was like, well, I want to leave my boyfriend, but he's on meth and this and that. And I'm like, wow, they're bringing me real stuff. And I really do my best to coach them through it. And I remember going back the next time to Vegas where she was, and she had broken up with him. And I was like, of course, I'm going to take full credit for that. You know, <laughs> But at the time, it just was a little sign that, okay, I'm doing the right thing. So I think that's what people need to do on the way. is like, remember those little moments that you go, oh, I felt that joy of when I first started my other business, or I first fell in love. That's the feeling you want to get. There's no reason the honeymoon feeling has to end. You know, we all say, especially in the beginning of a relationship, oh, that honeymoon, it doesn't last. Yeah, of course. But that little feeling, take a sign that it's still there a little bit.
0: And those feelings guide us. I had a big career in Silicon Valley. I was director of sales for a fast-moving startup. I was at the top of the world. I ran their New York office in frickin' Chelsea Market, the building that Google just acquired, right? For $2.5 billion. So I had this spectacular office space, which today is YouTube Studios. And I was on top of the world. I was making tons of money. And I decided to quit and become a meditation instructor. And all of a sudden, the amount of income I'm bringing in immediately shrinks. But I knew that there was something going on there when I drew frickin' bored out of my mind at technology sales. But when I was teaching meditation, even though I was making shit money, I felt alive. I felt joyful. And I sucked. I just want to confess, I sucked the first year or two. And I knew I sucked. I wasn't the best instructor, but I was learning. But I just felt that something was going to happen. And that was what led to Mind Valley. And I knew if I stayed in technology sales, I would just be a wealthy technology sales guy. But taking that risk and jumping into something new and feeling that energy shifted something, And so I can totally relate. And those of you who are listening, ask yourself this question. Do you feel you're stagnating where you are? Do you feel stuck? Do you feel it's no longer exciting? Are you just doing it for the money? And that becomes the real question. Are we just doing it for the money? I gave up a high-paying job in New York to take a risky job doing meditation, knowing that it might bomb and I might have to go back to my high-paying job. But let's address that question for people who are listening. Money. How do we overcome the fear of Turning off that tap of income that's actually sustaining us.
1: Right. The way I dealt with it was first of all, I've always been a good saver. So I always, through my whole life, which I think people don't do as much anymore, it's very old fashioned to think of saving a part of your paycheck every week. Like I don't know where that went to. But I think, first of all, try to be as responsible with money as you can. But the fear that you won't have enough money to me, is something you can work your way through. Because I said to you when we first talked, it is so much easier to leave a bad job than a good job. So here I am sitting as a really successful comic, and I'm like, oh my God, do I really turn off this money supply? Can't I kind of do both? And you kind of have that thing in your mind where you go, I'm sure you maybe you went through, oh, I could be an executive then teach meditation at night. Like we try to have the best of both worlds. I think the way to really do it is go, you know what? What's the worst that can happen if I make one third of what I'm making now? We can always work at Starbucks. I always say I can always type. That should be the title of my next book, because we all have skills we can use. We catastrophize. We think our kids won't survive without every lesson, and they won't survive without the private schools, and oh my God, what am I going to do? And you know, those are very real fears. But guess what? There's got to be a way to look at a budget sheet and go, let me accept reality as it is, because it's all about resilience. You know, You go, accept reality, take small steps forward and be grateful. Those three steps, I think, help you make this change. So say for me, I'm saying to myself, okay, I wanna quit stand up, and I say, all right, what's the reality? Well, do I have enough money in the bank for the rest of my life? No. Well, that's the reality. I'm gonna to have to earn a little bit of money if I wanna live in my house. But what's the worst thing that could happen if I don't make that money? Well, I guess I'll have to sell my big house. Okay, what happens if selling the house isn't enough to buy a little house? Okay, well, I guess I'm gonna have to get a part-time job. Is that so bad? No, if it's following my dream, it's not. Okay, suppose I can't get a part-time job and you drill it down, then I'll move it with mom. God forbid, you know, hopefully she'll still be alive. We all have friends. We all have ways of making it work. If you did it and I did it, I mean, you didn't create a miracle. You did the work to do it. So you accept reality as it is. You then take a little step. I'm coaching a guy right now. He's so cute. He wants to move to New York. And of course, he's the guy who works at a minimum wage job. Your first step, pal, if you want to be a performer in New York City, I want to budget by next week. Then we look at those numbers and then we say, you may need a roommate. You need to do this and do that. And you just take the ego out of it, put the reality on paper and make a little tiny step. And a big ceiling of the deal is be grateful that you can even do this and that you have a life in general. So I think resilient steps plus that attitude of do it anyway because you ain't going to be homeless really kind of works. We all go to homeless. For some, don't you find that?
0: Yeah, we all think that, right?
1: Isn't it crazy. I guarantee most of your listeners probably won't get homeless.
0: Now, you mentioned the third step, gratitude. I'd love to hear your take on that. And I know it's gonna be freaking hilarious.
1: Well, well, you know what? I always hated those gratitude journals. I would sit there and make fun of them constantly because, I mean, I'm searching for things to write down because, of course, your life seems so hard and terrible. And you're like, oh, I have to write down every day I'm grateful that I can see. Well, yeah, until God takes away your eyes, then you better be freaking grateful for your freaking eyes. So we discount all those things. So I always made fun of this gratitude. And I would go into these workshops and I'd say to people, dude, I suck at gratitude. I'm no freaking good at it until guess what? One day you're not. Something happens. There's a little shift, a tiny shift where you go, someday I actually believed it. Like, I don't even remember the exact day. All I remember is it was right after my dad died, and my dad was like my rock. So it was a terrible, terrible time. But I remember being outside and I was watering my little dopey plants that were already dying because I'm horrible at this job of watering a planter. Just races through my head. You're so lucky. All it said was, you're so lucky. And I'm like, oh, okay. I guess me writing down, I can see for 50 fricking years, help me get to this gratitude. And then I noticed it would pop up at other times. So without me forcing it, it sort of started coming out. And now it's sort of a natural thing to go, oh, I'm so lucky I'm doing this. Oh, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. So I don't force that gratitude journal stuff. And eventually Once you practice it a little, it does start to stick.
0: And you know what? Gratitude literally unlocks superpowers in you. It is the magic pill. It's the closest we have to that pill from the movie Limitless, right? Science has studied gratitude and they found that more than any other human characteristic, gratitude has the highest correlation with overall well being. In other words, It's bigger. It's better. It's more powerful than Prozac. But why is it that we don't do it? Because the pharmaceutical lobby, massive. The gratitude lobby, not so big. Gratitude is such a freaking powerful force to fuel you, to move you ahead. Most people underestimate it because of its simplicity. But literally it's as simple as thinking about five things every day that you're grateful for. Now, sometimes I'm grateful that I get to drink a cup of coffee because I have the most amazing coffee machine. Here in my home in Europe, right? And that is enough. You see, it's not about the size of what you're grateful for. You don't have to have two Grammy Award nominations. You could be grateful that you have a cat that you absolutely adore, right? Or in your case, Lisa, like a dog. It's about the feeling that it generates and we can engineer these feelings and these feelings stay with us. So here's one crazy study. And I like bringing in studies because our audience really sophisticated, really smart. They don't want any mumbo-jumbo. They want to know that this is real. This was by a university in California, American UCLA. They studied people who expressed gratitude for 30 days straight with a control group. They found that at the end of these 30 days, the group expressing gratitude was 25% happier overall. They didn't need 25% more money or 25% more sex. They were just 25% happier. But here's the crazy thing. Nine months later, this group's level of happiness continued to rise. In short, it's creating a long-term effect. It becomes like an addiction, not in a bad way, but you're hooked on happiness. And thus, you're more able to see things that you're grateful for. And it fuels you. And if you're starting a new career, know that happiness, we already know from Sean Akers' research, happiness makes you better. It makes you more productive. So gratitude actually gives you an edge in this new career.
1: Right, I totally agree because you cannot operate at your highest good or the good of other people without being grateful for that opportunity. You know, and it just sort of finds its way into your life if you practice it. And then it sort of takes off. It's like how a career takes off. You go, well, I don't know how it happened, but it just did. Well, yeah, because you did the initial work of inviting in gratitude for life. I just love this. I love that all these things I used to make fun of I kind of really into like you because I used to make so much fun of those rocks with the sayings on them, you know, believe namaste, all that stuff. And I'll be honest, I got a whole room for those freaking things.
0: Yeah, me too. It's kind of embarrassing, really. It's sad.
1: It really is. And first of all, when you're giving me a rock in the old days, I'm going to throw it at your freaking head if you don't give me food. So the fact is that it's funny, the stuff I used to really poo poo and make fun of. I kind of buy into, and it's kind of hilarious because I like seeing myself change. No one wants to stay the same. Since I announced the retirement from insult comedy, all these people are emailing me going, oh my God, I never really loved your comedy before, but now I get you. And other people are saying, I loved your comedy before, now I get you on this other level. And of course, there's going to be those ones. This is when people come to change jobs or relationships or whatever that they're stuck in. There's going to be those who say, oh, I love that you made this change. There's going to be others who are fearful for you or miss that old you. And then you just go, that's okay." They get to feel what they feel. I feel this so deep that it's unshakable. That's I always make my moves when I go. It's inarguable. I'm doing this. No one could ever talk me out of this. And I think that's all my best choices have been when I knew in my gut. I go, anybody could hit me with any argument. I'm doing it.
0: And now that's interesting. So it's a gut feeling that's going on there. It's a gut feeling. Now, how do we know if it's truly from our gut, right? Or how do we know if it's just our mind playing tricks on us?
1: If I get quiet, which again is something I always made fun of, is this meditation. You would love my house because I have a meditation room that I watch TV in. i have never used it to meditate. So you have to come someday and like sage my room or something, cleanse it from watching Homeland. So I would get quiet and I'd go, It's really from there. What does my heart feel? Don't you think you can use a lot of different techniques to get in there and go, what's the difference between this and this? Because this is what it takes us, as Mel Robbins says, five seconds to talk us out of this. So if I say, you know what, I'm going to reach out to my mom and say, I'm sorry. I got five seconds, she says, till this intervenes and stops me from action. So when I get quiet and I go inside, what do I really want? What do I really need? Versus. Oh, I want purses and shoes and Grammy nominations and all that. That's up here. That's to make myself feel better. That's to make me fill the hole that's always been there. Nothing fills the hole like gratitude. The thing is, too, I guarantee you 90% of the people in the world would love to be of service to others, whether it's a garbage man or a Starbucks employee or a customer service rep. They want to be of service, but unfortunately, they don't think they can do that in that job. If we all looked at every single thing we did as service to others, do you know how happy the world would be? I guarantee you, my garbage men have a service idea in mind because they leave it so nice every day. So they don't look at it as just a job. Hey, what do you think of this too? By the way, suppose somebody's really nervous about this whole big change—a divorce, a career change, etc.—because I have a theory: you can tweak any job to be fulfilling, meaning. You want to be a singer. That's your fantasy, and that's what you think will make you happy, right? You're a waitress. What do you get out of singing that you think you can't get out of anything else? Okay, I use my voice. I help others. I get the feeling of being on stage and adored. I get the feeling of emoting. Can you not get those four things out of being a waitress? Yes, you can. Basically, if I'd have really wanted to stick with stand-up and it was in my heart to stick with it, I could get what I needed out of that if I was too afraid to make the change. Luckily, I was in the position where I didn't have to do that and I can say, look, I'm fully committing to this. But I think people think the job itself is gonna make them happy versus they can tweak that job. If they're stuck in that job for some financial reason, don't you think they can tweak it to be kind of what they want out of that other fantasy life.
0: I think you're absolutely right there. It reminds me of this bizarre scene I saw once in an airport. There was the gate. I think it was New Orleans or someplace. So you know how often at airports by the gates, you have these kiosks that are selling nuts or magazines or something. And it was this tiny little kiosk, not even a shop, a kiosk man by this one guy selling snacks and nuts and beef jerky and pistachios. And... But the funny thing was, he was just there performing singing songs he made up about his pistachios, about his beef jerky. And everyone was there just filming him. And he would point out to someone in the audience and go, hey, beautiful, I know you want to try some of these pistachios. Come on, I'll give you a handful completely free. And then if you want, you can buy the rest. And he was just lighting up everyone's day. The energy of that whole terminal transformed. And I looked at that guy and I'm like, my God, That's a happiness goal. Someday I want to be as happy as that man. But he was nothing more than a nut seller, but he was doing it with a certain sense of giving, of joy that influenced everyone. Seven years later, I'm talking about him on this podcast. I wish I remembered his name, but that I think is the shift. Now, of course, most people aren't going to be able to go that far. For one thing, you need to be able to write incredible songs about your nuts to be able to do that. but. Being able to bring that sort of joy at work is transformative. And I sometimes see that the hairdresser who sings as he or she cuts your hair and makes you feel like you've just come out of a therapy session. The lady at the airport counter who gives you a change and go, there you go, honey. Have a good day. It just lights you up. And I love people like that. People who serve. And it reminds me of this interesting thing that happened once. So we were doing a Mind Valley University event in Barcelona. And we brought in this amazing speaker, Neil Donald Walsh. Have you heard of him? Yes. He wrote Conversations with God. So he was doing a two or three day seminar there. And someone stood up and said, Neil, you know, I have this problem. Like, I'm just sad. I have bouts of depression. And sometimes I have anxiety. And I have all of these dark emotions. If you can give me one thing to do, what would it be? And Neil said something along the lines of, get over yourself. And I was at the back. I'm like, what? Oh my God, Neil, don't go there. That's mean. That's not compassionate. I was thinking that in my head, but he continued. And I realized he was right. He said, look, you have to understand one thing. Your life is not about you. Rather, your life is about the lives of everyone you touch. When you walk into a room, you walk in with the intention to heal the room. Wherever you go, you go with the intention to serve. And when you make your life not about you, But about service, you will never wake up sad or depressed again. And that was mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. And so I think that's a key lesson there.
1: Yeah, I remember years ago, you know, when I was not doing the job I wanted to and felt it was waning, you know, in the past few years, I felt it was all about me. And you think that's what you want, but you really don't. And I remember I had to do a shift once and shifted. I saw a beautiful thing online. A comedian had said about giving laughs instead of getting laughs. So the terminology, you entertain them versus them feeding your ego. That's what I'm carrying into this new career as a workshop leader or life coach. Yes, I help heal myself, obviously, through helping others. But the biggest outpouring is for them. You know what it's all about them it's serving, yeah, and I even said to this kid yesterday, this young kid I was coaching who wants to move to New York. He works in a beauty supply place, he deals with the public. I said, I bet they love hearing you talk and having you like mess around with them and have fun with them, and I said, for the next week, you have to like entertain them every day, and like you said, with this man in the airport, I mean smile, who doesn't want to have somebody say, "Hey, how you doing? I made an effort to a few years ago, start being that person, who'd go into a store and be nice to the help, you know, because when you're semi-famous, you sometimes brusque people off. I'm not going to lie to you and say, I've always been nice. Well, let me tell you, it is so much more fun running errands and living life when you're going, oh, do you need to go first? Oh, go ahead. I'm not in a hurry. Or, oh, thank you. Oh my God, this was so great. You're the best. Just these little tweaks honestly make you concentrate less on what you don't have which is that career you think you want or that marriage you think you want and go, oh, look what I do have, which P.S. is gratitude in a weird form. So if it all leads to gratitude, that's what life's supposed to be about.
0: You know, I have this model that I've been using to assess if a job is good for me. And I look at four things. Most people get hung up on the money. It's all about money, 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 and what the fuck it says in my business card. Our education system kind of drills us for that. But really, money is important. We're not going to lie about that. But there are three additional things that I rate a job on, right? And number two is, am I learning and growing? Because learning is one of the most fulfilling things our souls have when we are here as human beings experiencing planet Earth. We're here to learn and grow. Number three is... Does this job make me feel like I have a mission? And those missions involve serving someone, creating something that changes the world, writing a book that inspires serving someone. You can be a hairdresser and you can have a mission to light up the day of every single person who sits in that chair in front of you or like that man in that airport who was selling peanuts. And then the fourth thing is, does it make me happy? And so any type of job, you can rate it on those four things. People get so hung up on the first on money and it locks them. It causes them to not move, even if they're unhappy, even if they are not serving, in other words, not having a mission, and even if they're not learning and growing. And that's when you wake up someday at the age of 40 going, what
1: the hell happened to my career? Right. And also, people need to know that the great joy you get out of something doesn't mean you'll never have an unhappy moment. <laughs> you know, sometimes you think you're going to have be on that pink cloud forever where, oh my God, I gave up my career. And now look at me every moment I live like a Buddha. And it's like, no, it's going to be a pain in the ass too. There's going to be things that come with that too, but you can accept those smaller trials and tribulations. So, okay, for the greater good, I'll do that. It's like taking care of a dying parent or something. You go, For the greater good of my folks, I will go through this day-to-day junk that I have to. So what's great about it is it can't be a fantasy. It has to be a reality. So there's two types of fantasies. It's that catastrophizing of like, I'll be homeless if I quit my job. And oh my God, it's the worst thing in my life. I'll kill myself. Or there's that fantasy of I'm gonna never have another moment's problem. Every life is gonna have its tiny moments of sucking. And guess what? If you love what you do, you kind of come out the other end and you're going to be fine. Don't you in the end think we're all going to be fine?
0: We're all going to be fine. I mean, I believe all of us are fundamentally safe in this day and age. And it reminds me of a story I heard Elon Musk share when he came on the Neil deGrasse Tyson interview. So Neil deGrasse Tyson, the famous astrophysicist and New Yorker like you, he interviewed Elon Musk. And Elon shared this crazy story about how at a certain point, when he was a college kid, he decided to see if he could live on a dollar a day. And he found out that for 30 days, he could literally, in America, live on a dollar a day. Because with a dollar, you can go to Walmart, and you can buy ramen, and you can buy, you know, a tomato for a dollar. And that's enough to survive. And he said that when he realized that for a dollar a day, he wasn't going to die or starve, That gave him the courage to understand that he could take any risk he wanted and still be okay. And today he's given us PayPal and SpaceX and Tesla. So the question is, if you're living in a country like the U S, you can literally survive on a dollar a day. And when you understand that, you know, everything else becomes less scary, less risky. Now, no one is saying it's hard. You got to pay your dues and most likely you're not going to end up in a situation where you have to live in a dollar a day, but It's like you said, Lisa, we over exaggerate in our minds the risk that might befall us.
1: Right, right. When I was talking to a broker once about possibly selling my house, because since I was catastrophizing, I said, let me check in on the reality of this. I just wanted to see what the reality of the price would be. And she told me about a study that some realty company did where you use 20% of your house at the most. I go, wow, so you're basically saying I could live in a studio apartment and be just as happy. Once you check the reality, you go, oh, I could live in a studio for a tenth of the price, maybe even a twentieth of the price, just like this guy went to Walmart and lived on a dollar a day, you know? So checking in on that reality, he did that experiment. Experiment with your life if you have a doubt. Say, could I look in the want ads and figure out a little part-time job to supplement? Could I get training and go on a scholarship to a meditation training studio if I think that's what I want to do in my life? Are there scholarships? Are there ways to get an education without it? Check the reality, deal with real stuff, be grateful, and take tiny steps. I think that's the way to go. And look at what you're doing now as service. Because there's not a job you can name to me that I can't tell you isn't of service to other people. I can't even think of one that isn't service. So you don't have to be in the serving profession like a meditation teacher or a life coach. You can serve others if you have that goal. It doesn't necessarily mean going into a soup kitchen, which is fine and noble too. But if you don't have time for that, look, at your job is going, who can I help today?
0: I love that question. Who can I help today? So with that, Lisa, I want to ask you to help me out with a question I got. This is an actual letter that came to me today. I'm going to read it out to you, and let's see if we can help this kid, because I think in answering this 13-year-old boy's question, we actually might help not just him, but a lot of other people out there. He wrote to me, and he's from India. He said this, Hi, Vision. I'm Aryan, a 13-year-old Indian boy. I'm using Valley courses to learn about life and be happy. I learned meditation only from you, and you are a person I admire most. I had a small problem." I aspire to be a businessman and entrepreneur. Society is always like, you have to be a school topper to be successful. How do I face negativity and do what my heart says? I have confidence on myself and I'm all set to achieve my goals. How do you stay happy despite of the problems we have in daily life?
1: Well, I would address these one problem at a time. The first thing is, You don't have to be the top of your class to be successful. I think there are many autobiographies people can read to see that this is absolutely not true. There's a lot of people who didn't even complete high school and are huge successes and business people. So that's easily again, checking reality. This guy can check and go, Oh, so and so did this without the education. I'm going to do my best, do what I can afford, see what resources are available to me to go to school. And wherever I land, I land as far as in the class if I do my best. The second point that I love to address because this happened to me all through my comedy career and I'm sure it'll happen with this career, the negative people. Those people, I was told once, and this woman was so right, those are your best teachers. Those are the people who help you develop resilience against the real battles later. So as a beginning comic, I was always met with very mean people who other comics who were threatened or had self-hate or whatever, and they'd be really mean to me. And I would go home every day crying because, you know, I'm very sensitive inside despite my act. And I'd be like, oh, my God, why do they hate me and this and that? And it really helped me develop resilience against, you know, the people on Twitter who might be mean to me someday or Facebook or Instagram. And then I'm like, oh, okay. so now I can kind of take the negativity and make the argument myself that, oh, you're never going to make it and go, well, maybe I won't but I'm gonna try, it takes that panic out of it. So take those negative things on their face and go, it's about them and they're teaching me to be more resilient. So I think that's a great way to look at negativity. And what was his last question?
0: How do I face negativity and how do I do what my heart says?
1: Oh, I think you do it before you have time to think your way out of it. It's like this interferes and then we gotta just move on and go, No, in my gut, write down those things your gut tells you. Because sometimes, I think you'll agree with this, you forget in moments of stress and panic what your gut had told you yesterday and you knew was right, write it down. The thing I used to do when I first started comedy because I was just like, oh my God, I need to grasp for something positive. Write down all the people who believe in you, even if it's three. I remember at one time, it was maybe two comedy club owners. And I go, okay, but that's a start, that's a start. And I was so sad all the time if somebody didn't like me But then I'm like, yeah, but those two guys like me and they're smart. So maybe I'm not that bad. So keep those running lists of positive people. Have more of those positive people in your life. And the negative people, this is what you do with them, which is so hard, especially for someone his age, but might as well start now, kid. Send them light because they're way sadder. They need your compassion. They need your love. And you don't have to deal with them. You don't have to talk to them. You don't have to have them in your life or have them surround you. But send them some forgiveness and some light and you'll just feel better about you. And they'll have to be on their journey. This is what I think. See, this is why I'm a terrific life coach and I think I'm going to be a huge success in this. What do you think, Mission?
0: I like that. Aryan from India, who's 13 years old, I hope you enjoyed those answers and I hope in some way it, helps guide you. Remember, don't worry about the negativity. All of us will face it. Always follow your heart. Take baby steps. I would recommend, Arian, you read the book, Think and Grow Rich. It talks about taking those baby steps, even if you aren't sure, but following your heart. And as Lisa says, you don't have to be at the top of your class in school. Think of school as a challenge. If you're good at it, great. If you're not good at it, it doesn't mean anything. Many of the world's richest, most successful people were never good at school. But you can do both if you want to treat it like a challenge. I was good at school, but I also knew that that meant nothing. It was just a challenge. You can be good at sports. You can be good at school. You can be good at public speaking. But don't let bad grades make you think you are any less than
1: anyone else. Right. Vision? you know what I'm going to say to you, which I love about myself and about you? You this book, Think and Grow Rich. You didn't notice, but I wrote that down because you told me earlier in this conversation, always be learning. And I said, maybe I learned something from this book because just because I'm 57 years old doesn't mean I know it all. I'm taking a huge demanding certification course to be a life coach. I'm not just printing out something off the internet. I need to learn. So I think sometimes too, this young kid is a great example of a young kid with some vision. How about these older people like me who go, oh, I'm too old, I'm too old. Too old for what? If you ain't got two feet in the grave, you can still grow. My mother, 89 years old, this broad, she has changed so much in the last six years. More open, more laughter, less stress, less depression. You're never too old. If my battle axe of a mother can change anybody can. So I think people my age really need the stern talking to and say, it's never too late, man.
0: It's never too late to reinvent yourself, whether you're 13 or 83. You know, we get people in their 80s coming to Mindvalley University.
1: Look at that. I love that. And that proves that there is some real need for people to listen to in here. I love when I see that age group. I had a woman in front of me at the pharmacy yesterday saying, I'm thinking about dyeing my hair like you have your hair blue. And I go, it's never too late. And she's like, is it hard? And I'm like, no, it's super easy. And I told her how. And part of me goes, I hope next time I go to that pharmacy that she dyes her hair blue. You reach a certain age, you go, who the hell's going to argue with me? I might as well do it. And never worry how you are going to come off to other people because if you do it with an open heart, you're going to come off fine.
0: Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Arian, for writing. Thank you for all of you guys for listening today. Lisa, it was a delight to have you in the Mind Valley podcast. Where can we learn more about you for people who were captivated by you?
1: Well, thank you, lisalampanelli.com, which is L-I-S-A-L-A-M-P-A-N-E-L-L-I.com. I have all my workshops on, you know, changing your life and food and body image, which is one of my big passions. And also you can email me there about private coaching and also obviously about my shows, which are storytelling shows about these different issues. And I got to tell you something, Vision. you are a gift and I'll tell you why. I learned from you today. I'll continue to learn from you. You opened up my mind to a lot of stuff and I really enjoyed this conversation. I've done so many interviews, but I like going deep. And this is a nice thing for you to have me on. So I really appreciate it. Thank
0: you. Like it felt really like we were just having coffee in a Starbucks. I like that. So take care, guys. Don't forget to check out lisalampanelli.com. That's P-A-N-E-L-L-I. I I can't wait to see. I mean, you've gone so far in comedy, Lisa. I'm so proud of you. Two Grammy nominations. That is not a joke. That is such a big freaking deal. I have zero, zero Grammy nominations. You have two. And I know you're starting out in transformation, but I can't wait to see the impact you're going to have on this industry.
1: Oh, well, I just got goosebumps. Thank you so much. God bless. You're the best.
0: Take care, Lisa. Bye. Bye. Bye.